So Liam, I listened to your podcast last week. Great listen, but did you slyly add in an advert? What do you mean? Well, you started to talk about DyingScene.com, like how it's a great place to find all things punk, like news, tour dates, album reviews, and all that good stuff. But it sounded like DyingScene.com was sponsoring the podcast. Nah. I mean, the good people at DyingScene.com just kind of wanted to help out a new podcast. So in the spirit of the punk community, I thought I would uh, show them the same gratitude back. Uh, sounds like a sponsor to me. I don't think so. I mean, that would mean that Punks and Pubs has already sold out. Punks and Pub match? No. Anyone? Hello, my name is Liam Bird, and this is the Punks in Pubs podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I hope you're all well, and everyone survived the flu and sickness that struck down most of the UK in January. I barely got out alive, I won't lie. I have been sick for pretty much literally all of January. If you listen back to the other podcast, you will hear me suffering. But I'm better now, so let's move forward. Before I tell you who's coming up on episode 6 of Punks in Pubs, um, I want to say thank you to Power Aggression to send, for sending in their track, Lobotomy. It seemed like you guys seemed to enjoy the idea of me giving out uh, the end of the podcast to new bands, and loads of other bands have been in contact, and we're going to continue to do that. So at the end of this episode, you will hear a new uh, punk band. These guys are from Indonesia, and I love it. It's like literally 46 seconds of pure joy. If you are in the band and you do want to get in contact, um, hit me up on social media at Punks and Pubs on Twitter and Instagram and we'll go from there. Anyway, less of that, more of this. Episode 6 is me in a bus with Chuck Robinson, lead singer of the legendary California band Mad Caddies and not so legendary Elwood, a band who I actually enjoy but you will soon find out others did not. In truth, episode 6 should have been me sat in a bus with Graham Palmer, the bass player for the legendary California band Mad Caddies, and also Vineyard owner. But Graham was a little under the weather when I turned up, so Chuck, like a champion, uh, took his space and we had a chat. But with that, my interview prep had gone to shit, so me and Chuck kind of just winged it and came up with about 45 minutes of pure chat gold. Um, I've never met Chuck before, but he was very warm and very honest in the interview. He opened up to me and we spoke about divorce and losing someone you love. Uh, Also dealing with depression and how Chuck being on stage has helped him through that. We also talk about his other job away from the Mad Caddies. Uh, Chuck is also a farmer. He he grows marijuana and Chuck talks about the benefits of weed. Of course, we talk about the Mad Caddies and we hear some road stories. Little tip, don't drink the beer that's just laying around if you're hanging out with the caddies. I also brought some British beer along with me and me and Chuck uh, have a nice little taste test while also discussing sports, regrets and other bands shitting inside pizza boxes. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary people, I give you episode 6 of Punks in Pubs, Chuck Robertson of the Mad Caddies. See you in a bit. Well, the first time that I went out on my own I was a young man, almost 17, right down to the day Well, I packed up all my things, grabbed my bag and kissed my mother And I told her that I'd be back someday So I jumped into the back of an 18-wheeler Red at North Destination, didn't even ask With the wisdom that my father gave me Yo, yo, yo. We are in a, a new pub, a new kind of pub, a bus pub. What are we naming this pub, Chuck? Black Magic. <laughs> <laughs> so the voice you hear there is Chuck Robinson, uh, vocalist of the Mad Caddies. Drinking, it plays a huge part in Mad Caddies. The songs you write, from interviews I've read and watched on YouTube, it plays a part in your recording. 
Yes, absolutely. So, so I mean, why, why is it about drinking? What do you enjoy about alcohol, really, without sounding too much like an alcoholic? Yeah, oh, we're definitely all alcoholics. Yeah, I mean, we can just come right out there and get that out of the way. No, uh, for reals, though. Um, I don't know. It's, it's the social lubricant that uh, helps us all relax, I think, as humans. And um, I don't know. It, it enables us to have just a little bit more fun than I'd say without it. Um, I actually personally took a break this year. I didn't drink all of January and February for the first time, and I don't know, maybe since I started drinking. <laughs> so what made you pick it back up? Um, boredom. No. I, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a nice, nice two months. Uh, um, I had a lot of quiet time to myself, but I was counting the days down because I said 60 days will be here. And oh, really? Okay. It was like a child waiting for Christmas. <laughs> and... Uh, Coming back to my good old friend beer uh, was was lovely, and I do recommend uh, taking a break for everybody. Uh, it's just nice, and it, it lets your body heal, and uh, you know, and gives you a greater appreciation for it when you return to your old friend beer. So, is it beer for you all the time, or do you like to make your mixer? Uh, yeah, you know, I used to I used to drink hard alcohol a lot more, but I'm a father now. I have a two and a half year old son, yeah. and uh, when he came along, I decided to pretty much quit drinking spirits. Just because it's easy to count beers and, and keep it under control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no falling down or getting pissed drunk or anything. It's have, just, have you ever you found know. yourself getting too drunk around your child and going, oh, no, that was bad? Um, no, maybe when he was like a week old and I decided that was it. <laughs> Stop drinking <laughs> Just hanging your child so out I went, the window. And I went to check in on him when he was sleeping and I stumbled a bit. I'm like, oh, this is it. Okay, this is too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A modern conception of British beer is that it is warm and shit. So what I've bought today to help with the interview and uh, kind of help us lubricate a little bit to help with your hangover as well. Yes. I've bought three beers that are brewed and made in the UK. Lovely. So I thought we could have a little tester, a taste yeah, tester. that's a great idea. So if we can get... Uh, am I okay grabbing that glass? Oh, yeah, please. Great. I didn't grab the one with the Anarchist A. On. Is it Anarchist A or there, is it just an A? It's just an A for Absolute Touring, uh, the okay. name of our Buffs company. Right, so our first beer we're, we're trying is Wild Gravity. And it is brewed in Yorkshire, which mm. I believe you were in Leeds we earlier were just on. Yeah. yeah, so uh, this is brewed there. I don't know if you've tried it. It's an IPA, 5.2. That sounds perfect. So uh, let's crack this open. <laughs> Love that noise. Like Smells like barrel. breakfast. Wow, Check I haven't seen out. a can like that. Because I used cool. to be a barman, I'm going to do this professionally. Perfect. Cheers. He says barman with a massive head on it. Um, so, yeah. I mean, how much beer? Are you quite a beer snob? Like, Do you I, love your beers and know I your do, beers? I do love my beers and I know my beers, but I would not call myself a snob. Yeah. But I definitely haven't drank any corporate beer in years, like as far as the Budweiser's and the core. Once, you know, this whole West Coast uh, IPA and pale ale revolution taking place in America right now is... Yeah kind of swept swept me right along with <laughs> and i appreciate it so much uh, good flavor well, beer cheers to you cheers liam and let's uh, give us a taste yeah warm unfortunately it's warm, but no very nice that's a hoppy ipa with uh, notes of citrus and hmm, let's see what else <laughs> a little bit of pine in there too you I get like pine? That. I got a little bit of pine. Wow. A little citrus. Yeah, that's very nice. That's uh, much better than the traditional uh, cask ale or the warm, flat kind of British beer yeah, we're yeah. all used to. Yeah. Well, I'll let you keep drinking that, and I'll ask you uh, the questions. You were born in California, is that right? Correct, yes. So where in California? Um, from Santa Barbara, California area, but yeah. we say that because most people in the world have watched that shit soap opera that was out years ago, Santa Barbara. <laughs> But we're from the countryside, from a place called the Santinez Valley, and from a little town called Solvang, yeah. which is actually the Danish capital of America. It was okay. founded by Danes in the early 1900s. So is and that your ancestry? You... I'm not Danish, but a no. lot of my friends growing up are. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of blonde-haired, blue-eyed blockheads there in town, <laughs> we call them. <laughs> the little Aryan nation that, uh, that yeah, you got there. Yeah. Yeah, it's Danish and Mexican. Yeah, so it's it's a nice mix. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a, that is a nice mix. Yeah, it is. Um, so, I mean, how did you find yourself getting into the whole punk, ska, reggae scene? Um, well, we were just, you know, big, in a small town. When when we grew up there, there was probably not even 10,000 people in the whole valley, which is like four villages. We call it the valley. 
but there was nothing to do beyond you know riding BMX bikes and and motorcycles and stuff like that. There was not much of a scene. Uh, there wasn't any scene actually. <laughs> it's the straight up countryside. After you know, kind of the grunge thing was going on, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, you know, were coming of age at that time. And at age fifteen, we discovered a little band called Fishbone, and just kind of blew blew my mind as well as our guitar player Sasha's. We're like, what is this ska music? Wow! And you know. And when we thought of punk rock, we would think of, of course, like Sex Pistols or The Clash, you know. But then, just like a, yeah, a waterfall of, of new music was Fishbone, and then, wow, what is this, No FX band? Wow, they're so cool. And then just every, then you discover the whole scene. And, and then um, we would drive about 30 minutes to Santa Barbara, and shows would come through quite often of national touring bands. And, and we would go out and see those shows as fans, and just, yeah, I just fell in love with with punk and ska and the, the whole community so how did you discover that i mean was it just through movies or was it through your friends and it records? was like friends older brothers that was kind of how it, it goes it's like oh he already you know we're 15 and, and your older brother or your friend's older brother is off to college already at 18 or 19 and university and then comes back with these with cds of these bands and you know because there was no internet or anything back then so Isn't that amazing? There is so no weird. Internet. Like, how did we talk to each other? Well, we right. called each other on the phone and left messages, and we made plans. Okay, we're all going to meet there on Friday night. Yes. And if you don't meet, you get left behind. And know? then you have to find out about the where's what the party. Right. Yeah, and now it's just oh, I'm in a pub. Come yeah. join me. Come join me. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so like whenever someone says that, like blows my mind that the like how fast technology has become. Like oh yeah, in our lifetime we are seeing technology. Whereabouts? No other generation of people have ever seen technology. Oh, absolutely! And and I, I, I just read too that like I'm part of this very strange generation where it's only like I think a five or six year gap. Like if you were born from 1977 to 1983 or something or 84, that we were the only generation that grew up without the internet as a kid. But then, right as we became adults, had to learn it. You know, because I mean that's I mean I don't think I sent my first email till I was 19 or 20 years wow, old. Okay, yeah. You know, so. It was, it was yeah. I was an adult when it came up. You know. So how do you think that plays with us psychology-wise? Because we, we're gaining so much information, yeah, that we're probably not used to. Like we've had to evolve so quickly now that we gain so much inf- information that we, we we can't absorb that, can we? Surely, no, we can't. And that's you know when I when I actually stopped drinking um, this year for a couple of months, I was just kind of doing a, a personal soul cleanse and you know mind, body, spirit, everything. Some really rough times in my life, personally. And um, one thing I noticed is I turned off the Facebook as well, and, you know, and I turned off the television. I haven't watched news or anything, and now it's been coming on nine months, and I feel so much better because <laughs> all this information, you know, I would find myself sitting there almost dreaming, scrolling through, you know, in my dreams at night. I'm like, this is not good. Yeah. And taking in all this useless information like, oh, well, three out of four scientists say if you wear red, then you're going to get hit by a car, you know, so it's like, what? No, I mean, just crap and rubbish and i think it's too much for us to absorb and you know so i just took a step back and uh, and i actually feel so much better you know and of course i still you know have an iphone and it's great to you know be able to facetime your family and friends and love the technology but i think i think we have to take it all with a grain of salt and and kind of pick and choose um you know how we're going to involve it in our daily lives you know so because I think it's a little, you know, it, it can be unhealthy for sure, as like the screen addiction and you know, wasting hours every day just scrolling through social media <laughs> when you should be out for a walk talking to real people. Well, know? yeah, I mean that must play a part on on someone like yourself who is creative, who is writing. I mean, how hard do you find it? Whereabouts you do sit down in front of a laptop or or however you write and go right. I'm gonna I'm gonna write. I'm gonna sit here. I'm gonna write. But then all of a sudden you hear a little ping, and then right. oh, I'm away. Like, right. have you actually noticed that distracting you in any way? And you and it's played a part in your writing, or is it something that you just lock yourself away, get rid of all technology? Yeah, you know. And I'm I'm pretty good on my phone. Like, I don't have any push push notifications. Like, nothing dings on my phone unless it's a text message. Like, that's it. Yeah. So it's like. I try not to let that intrude too much in my personal life because it, it can be very distracting, you know, especially, you know, if you're in the studio and you're supposed to be paying attention to something recording and everybody's sitting there watching, you know, the s- score of the baseball game on their iPhone. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. On. But, yeah, I, when I when I write, it's, it's a very personal time and I, I generally don't keep any of that stuff around, you know. I do my best writing either really early in the morning when I first wake up or late at night, you know, before bed. And I just kind of uh 
just let myself go and, and turn all that off and put it away, you know, and I go to a part in my house where nobody can bother me and, you know, so. Yeah. It's a, definitely a very personal time for me. Chicken for a living, that's just what I do When I'm not with you My heart goes to bed Enter the bar, that's just where I'll be Try and come find me Cause I'm already dead With one outside upon the open road I feel your presence and I can't let go It moves so slowly as it creeps into my mind Steals every breath I have I mean, talking about personal times, uh, whenever anyone's ever gone, I'm hoping people who listen to this have seen a Mad Caddy show, but you're very much energy, so much energy on stage. And mm-hmm. and that must be hard if, you, like you stated, if you do go through a hard time yeah. and then you're on stage and you need to lift yourself and you know that you need to do that because technically it's a job. Yeah. So people have paid. I mean, how sure. do you do that? And, and then obviously you got that high and then, coming back down must be yeah. really difficult I mean how do you deal with that well you know this has been the, to be completely honest and open with uh, anyone who's listening yeah this has been one of the, the hardest years of my adult life I'm going through a divorce right now I have a young child I lost you know my best friend and blah 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 and my my ex-wife and uh, I mean she's not dead but <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that did sound like a threat no, she's, she's, no, she's, she's, run, she's, she's, she's with us yeah but you know the band the band was my was my medicine you know and going through that from the beginning of the year on i remember playing our first show since all that happened i think it was in late february it's actually with real big fish i think we did uh, like a 20 year anniversary of their album or something in orange county and that was the first time i felt human and normal getting on that stage and leaving all of that behind and you know that's i walk on stage and i become a different person and then as soon as I walk off that stage, that person's kind of left up on the stage. And sometimes I don't even know who that guy is up there. I just know that it's a place I love to be, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to be, you know. And so that, yeah, it really, it really helped me a lot. And then I was just looking forward to every time we had shows, like, oh, God, I can get out of my head. You know, it just takes me out of my head. Because when, when I'm up there, I'm just thinking about the crowd and thinking about the songs and thinking about not messing up and like the important stuff so (laughs) you know and and just really trying to give everybody that that rocks up every night the best we got because you know this is you know you're up you're on tour and you're doing stuff for 23 hours a day you got that one hour or give or take you know that you're on stage so that's the time we let it all go and, and give everything we got and you have to but yeah that helped me very much um through this this dark period in my life yeah Obviously, you are a touring band. You, you, you're constantly on the road, or if you're doing, if you're not doing Mad Caddies, you're doing other side projects. Um, mm-hmm. One of them we're going to talk about later. Um, but you're you're kind of contained all the time. I mean, you don't always have this tour bus, which is looks well, quite nice actually. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you're just in the back of a van. Sure. How yeah. how do you pass that time? Um. Yeah, I don't know. We that's You're just uh, bullying the weakest person in the group, and then yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, pretty pretty much making fun of each other, like like any good family does, you know, taking the piss. But yeah, I try to sleep a lot, you know, try to get the full 
eight to nine hours of sleep every night we can. You a sleeper? You, you enjoy your sleep? I do enjoy sleeping, yes. And once I'm asleep, I don't wake up until it's time. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm blessed with the sleeping ability. I know some people have a really hard time sleeping, and I feel bad for them because it's one, the one time when I feel great. But, yeah, I don't know. We... um we play games. We we sit around and write songs. We we drink. We you know we talk shit to each other in loving ways, and and we come up with pranks and silly things. And you know, and, uh, yeah, and you know we don't spend too much time in vans anymore, which is which is good because I'm tall and I'm old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but it's still nice sometimes. You know, we 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 go out and do just a weekend gig or a fly-in gig or something, and yeah, you're just in a van for a couple of days. And I actually appreciate you know seeing the countryside and then taking in the sights because actually you don't get to see any of that when you're on the nightliner. You you know you usually drive when you're asleep. Yeah. At night, so you kind of wake up and you're at the next town. You're like, oh, what happened? No, that's what you're driving last night. Yeah. One of the things that I do, and I've completely stolen this from another podcast, is whereabouts I need to get my thoughts together because I'm not a natural presenter. I have a just an emo- what's called an emergency question. So uh, I'm sorry, a, what? An, an emergency question. Oh, okay. So cool. it's just a random question that I'll throw at you while I get my shit together. Sure. And for everyone else, usually unless I tell them, they won't know. So what's the most pedantic thing you've ever done? That that I did. That you, you've ever done. You know, I was actually telling a friend. About it, and it's it's the worst thing I feel like I've ever done to a human being. And I was, let's see, I was 14 or 15 years old, and I was riding in a truck with an older guy, like he was maybe 17 or 18, and, and I was trying to show off, because I thought it would be really funny. And he had this little wooden baseball bat in his truck. And we're driving through town on a Saturday morning, and I'm laughing, and it's so bad, because I shouldn't laugh, but... And there was, like, a cycling race going through town, like, proper, like, cyclers. And I reached out the window of his truck, and I shoved the bat right into this guy's front wheel on his bike. Oh, fuck. And he fucking tumbled, and, you know, and we all laughed. And then my buddy was like, dude, that was so fucked up. And to there was, you know, this is 25 years ago. And I still feel bad to this day about it. I'm like, that was, like, the most outrageous, horrible thing I've ever done to, like, another human being. You know, why would I do that? And now he's dead. No, he's <laughs> he's flying like a poor, you know the guy you know just skinned his knee and probably messed up you know his his nice wheel on his yeah. bike. But it's just like, and I've received you know a lot of bad stuff happened to me after that. So I definitely received my karmic payback. <laughs> I know because like, it was a shit time being a teenager. But and uh, yeah, I still I still apologize to that man in my mind and my heart and say I'm sorry. And I would you know it's but fuck, teenagers' brains are not developed. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So you know I give myself a little past by being a young stupid arrogant kid but what a horrible thing to do so what how are you like you said you were kind of a stupid horrible kid but i mean was that to show off i mean what, what? it was it was to show off for my older friends yeah. he would think i was cool and tough and you know because he was a couple years older and i thought that he'd think it was really funny and then he laughed a little bit and then it was like dude that was fucked up <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but so yeah if, if uh if that guy's out there man i'm so sorry i put that baseball bat in the wheel of your bike <laughs> That's a fat wheel. That's a fat bat as well. It was one of those little mini. It was the little bats called the the little slugger. You know, the guys kept under their their seat in case you had to, you know, protect yourself. (laughs) Well, okay, let's let's talk about that. I mean, California. I've just finished reading NoFX's new uh, book. Oh uh, yeah, Hepatitis book. Which, if anyone's not read it yet, read it. It's phenomenal. It's not just about drinking and all that sort of stuff. There is some dark stuff in really there really dark yeah that they that I mean one that Melvin just opens up about right. and I'm not going to ruin it because I want people to read the book because it is a fantastic book but it seemed to be that in California in that time punk was generally dangerous sorry that's your next drink oh thanks uh, so what we're trying now is quite a well known drink Hell's now Lager. Candom Hell's Lager Candom Hell's is cool. just down the road because we are in Kentish Town um, this is more of a light beer it's kind of one of those beers that you would probably have at like a football game or yeah. So it's, it's your session beer. You session beer. Drink a lot of. Right there you go. Um, so yeah, I mean, was was that kind of your like introducing to to punk and that genre? It was, you know, and we live in a pretty peaceful place. You know, we didn't experience a lot of violence, you know, or any anything growing up as as teenagers, except for your normal schoolyard bullying and the you know the tough guy that wants to pick on the little guys, but. Going to punk shows, there was always this, you know, for the first few years, there was always this, like, nervous energy about, oh, man, am I going to get, like, beat up tonight or anything? Because the pits were real. These guys would go and circle pit and mosh pit and try to fuck you up for fun, you know? Let's see if we can break somebody's nose with our elbow. It wasn't, 
you know the more peaceful pogo mosh pits we have over here in europe you know it was it was kind of a violent time and people tough guys went to go and even if they didn't know the band they were just like oh there's punk rock on tonight there's gonna be mosh let's go fight and fuck people up you know and so sometimes you'd be you know maybe at a pennywise show or something i'd be like no nah, i'm not going in the circle pit tonight i don't want to <laughs> get all bloodied up i'm just gonna sit in the back and watch you know i scarf the crowd yeah just see. like Oh, is that guy here tonight? No, yeah, that yeah. dickhead's not here tonight. All right, cool. I can go in for a quick circle, you know, <laughs> without without dying. But yeah, it was it was it definitely was, and it, it wasn't. You know, I'm talking now about the to mid the early and mid '90s. You know, but I was, you know, we were too young to experience the LA punk scene in the '80s. But I'm sure, like guys like No Effects, yeah. I mean, it was it was a real deal, man. And was uh, that part of the excitement of the music? I genre? think I think it was. You know, it was there was a little bit da- uh, an element of danger to it, mm-hmm. and that it kind of gave you that that nervous anxiety going to the show but uh, you know and uh, at the same time that's also why we fell in love with ska because it was the total opposite if you went to a ska show you knew there was going to be none of that bullshit there that everybody was going to be cool and there was going to be a good chance you might actually dance with a girl <laughs> instead of just being bloodied up by dudes <laughs> yeah, it was either that you're either gonna you're gonna make out or your face is hitting a wall right yeah, you yeah. know so that was that was a an alluring uh part of the ska music was just the the peacefulness the unity you know and the the, the togetherness yeah just being oh we're all in this together and everybody's welcome you know even the geeks are welcome you don't have to look cool you can just show up and dance and have fun the difference though between American ska and UK ska because in the 80s when we had like um, Madness and we had uh, the specials selected yeah right, it, it was very much skinheads right and then the um, Jamaican immigrants who came over here and bought reggae mm-hmm. to the punk scene which showed created, them yeah, yeah. created the so, backbeat I think if you went to us, I can remember watching a Madness documentary, and they're talking about the violence that went that would go on at a show, at a Scar show, where it's all meant to be like unity and right. enjoying it. But it it was like you're going there for a fight, right? Right. So I think our Scar scene was kind of like the the LA the punk, scene. punk scene, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's kind of weird how people now do think, especially in this country, do think about Scar as more like a unity it's, thing. Yeah, now. everybody's welcome. Get together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The band geeks can come too. Everybody can come. You don't exactly. have to like, be cool, you know. And I always feel that Scar is that nice introduction into if you want to get into punk music, sure. Then it, you can listen to people like uh, the Mad Caddies or Ruby Fish or less than Jake or um, uh, I'm trying to think of all the other Scar bands now Catch 22 and mm-hmm. stuff like that and then you go oh I really like that riff or you go okay I really like that band that band happens to have a side project and then you right. go to that side project so that's the way I kind of got into Scar was through well actually I went backwards and through Punk and then to Scar right um, so what about you what, what, what was your first level was it Punk was it Scar was it Reggae Soul uh, I mean, mine was classic rock. My parents, you know, they're they're baby boomers. They're old hippies, you know. Well, they're old now, but <laughs> they were young when I was young. But yeah, so mine was the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, uh, Neil Young, Crosby, Stills and Nash, uh, the Grateful Dead, um, Muddy Waters. My mom really liked old blues and stuff, and you know, so yeah, I got some soul in there. And then it, I remember. Um, yeah, just watching it, and you know, of course, uh, we grew up on all the hair metal like Guns N' Roses, Molly Crew. Mm. I mean, I used to build Legos when I was, like, seven and listen to, like, Metallica's entire catalog because my <laughs> cousin had dubbed me all the tapes, you know, and then and the Black Album came out when I was in, like, seventh grade. It was just the coolest thing ever, and the Nirvana and Pearl Jam, and then... But, that like, everybody liked it, and everybody had it. And so when we got into high school at age 15 and found this scene, this ska and punk scene, we felt really cool because we were like, 
you know you know what ska music is <laughs> yeah you don't we do though <laughs> you know like we got one on the the preppy rich kids you know like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're still listening to pearl jam and u2 and we're we got mighty mighty boston's and you know sublime you, yeah, you flannel know. shirt yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and you know we got our little checkered pins and <laughs> you know, it's like so yeah for us it was just it felt like it was ours like it was ours you know and it was something different and new so that was i think a big attraction so what made you want to start a band like what made you go okay we can I want to do this especially at a time where I mean Scar was Scar always has like an up and down history sure sure but I feel like when you started it wasn't as Mm -mm. booming as it used to Mm -mm. be like as it became we were like two years too late yeah (laughs) because like by the time Real Big Fish you know had their popular singles and the on the on mainstream radio and stuff and then we got our like second record out and then it was just like burp ska's dead like (laughs) this is called new metal it's the new music (laughs) n-u metal they're like no get those masks so finally by the time we had our shit together and we were young adults and had a couple records out like ska was dead in the states so we started coming over to europe in 99 and it just took off here again and so for a couple years we kind of didn't play much in the states because it was a big ska backlash and we were just over here just like oh they love it here shows are packed great you know so that was nice and then as the new metal thing kind of faded away and then you know it's like it all everything just cycles you know it's like what are the kids into you know are they cut yourself emo metal or are they doing edm this week we don't know you know but i you know cycles of it's life it's 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 the beauty of life so but i mean the the, thing, the, the fun thing about mad caddies though is you've never just stayed Scar. I mean, Scar's always been your foundation, but sure. I mean, yeah. in- I mean, people ask us what kind of band are you now. I go, well, we're just kind of like an eclectic rock band. You know, we have horns, we do ska, we do rock, we do punk, we do reggae, we do some jazz. You know, it's just we're just we're kind of a, a rock band, basically. I mean, your most recent album, Dirty Rice, for me, parts of that sound sounds like like the deep south like like louisiana like sure. that new orleans vibe yeah that came from zosh our guitar player he fell in love with dixieland music like right at the end of high school right when he got into college and there was this dixieland jazz band that would play a couple nights a week at our local irish pub called uh what are they called well, the pub was james joyce oh god i can't remember it was so long ago they're real old guys i don't i think i don't know if they're still around but we would love, you know, we'd go down there and stand outside the window. You couldn't even get in the bar and, you know, just listen to those guys play. And you're just like, oh, this is sweet. And, like, Sasha had the brilliant idea of mixing Dixieland and punk rock, and no one had ever done it. Yeah. So it was like that That kind of sound became our own, which was really cool. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, what, to the question of what made me want to start a band, well, girls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, summer camp, I'll never forget. I was 10 or 11 and then go to this cool summer camp up north, um, and up in the woods for a week every summer. and. I remember the the cool counselors the, the, were the ones that played acoustic guitar and sang around the campfire. I'm like, man, and I'd always loved to sing because my parents both sang, but none of them, neither of them played an instrument, but they both have good, strong voices and were big fans of music. And so I could sing, or at least I thought I could. And then, yeah, about age 13, started finally picking up the guitar and learning some, some chords and stuff. And then i guess we'd had a band we our first band wasn't even ska yeah it was kind of like grunge it was called troll total rebellion of life's limits (laughs) (laughs) but uh we kind of played shitty rock and metal and stuff and grunge and then uh the caddies came about shortly after but yeah i remember going and seeing those first shows with national touring bands like skank and pickle and let's go bowling and fishbone and just being like 15 years old and going you know what i can do this I think I think we could we could be good enough to at least play up here and open for these guys. I know we can. And if the people in our town like us, then maybe there's a chance we can even go to other towns and play music. And wow, we could go on a tour. How fun would that be, you know? And and so yeah, we just started like organically like like you do as a school band and started playing, you know, lunchtime gigs at our high school. They'd let us set up and play, you know, at the end of the school year and play for the kids and then finally got our first opening acts at these clubs you know where it was like pay to play we had to sell 50 tickets you know yeah, yeah, just yeah. to open up for 20 minutes and yeah the whole thing started so and then it, it never it never stopped after that yeah. so what was the point where basically you know right i can quit my job this is it this is it. like we are that was a going. long time we we ate shit for years i mean before you could we actually could make a living off this uh, yeah and you know and it's it's how much work you want to put into it too it's like most of us still we all have other gigs you know so 
when we want to work full time, we, we want to plan out like with Dirty Rice, we we plan out a whole year and a half, and you know, and, and we went out there and toured, and we did a hundred and something shows, and it was it was long, but but yeah, the first God, it was. Let's see. We put out our first album in '97. We started as a band in '95 in school, and I don't think I could even say I could make any semblance of a living until probably five or six years later. I yeah. mean, it was like 2001, 2002 before we started actually getting paid real money and like, oh, cool, I can, I can actually make a living doing this. All right, I can, I can pay my rent and eat food. I'm playing music. All right, <laughs> bonus. Yeah. Well, talking about like paying rent. And- and eating food I mean how hard is it now to, to be able to actually make a living at being a band because it, it, it seems it's, hard it's very difficult and you know the guys like I said we're, we're kind of we do this kind of half time you know and, and um, but it's really hard you have to be gone a lot and that's the thing it involves leaving your friends and family and your home and, and all that so it, it's really difficult and especially with us I mean I envy bands that only have three or four people <laughs> you know we have six to seven guys on stage and you know a four or five person crew and you know there's uh, anytime we go there's like 10 or 11 of us rolling everywhere it's like how did the caddies drink five cases of beer it's like we all only had five or six each do the math yeah, yeah. there's 11 of us that's 66 beers a night you know if we all just have six or 10 or whatever you know it's 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 crazy so yeah it is difficult but you know you we love what we do and and I think now that we don't rely a hundred percent that we're kind of middle-aged adults and we have other gigs and stuff um, actually takes a lot of the pressure off and it makes it more fun to be on the road because you're just like okay yeah I'm making money but I'm also really enjoying what I do because it's so nice to take a break and get away sometimes so know? what is your other gig away from the caddies um well fuck it yeah I grow cannabis yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have been for a long time. Um, it's we passed medical marijuana in uh, 1996 in California. So yeah, I've uh, I've been growing cannabis commercially for about ten years, and it's it's a farming gig, you know. And I take I take pride in it. It's um, I love. I've always my parents. You know, we grew up on a little farm and we ate organic and you know conscious about where our food comes from and. And cannabis has been a big part of my life since I was, oh, I don't know, 16 or 17. I absolutely love it. I think it should be a human right for everyone, just like coffee or bananas or anything else. You know, It's actually older than the apple and tomato. It's about 10,000 years old. We've been using it as humans that whole time until about 70 years ago. And then, hey, enter cancer. Go figure. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I do that. And, you know, it's, after 10 years now, it actually does feel like work. <laughs> <laughs> but and the, you know the novelty's worn off, of yeah. course. But yeah, it's a real job, and a lot of my friends do it. And I'm just fortunate enough to grow up in a, in the countryside and have the land to to grow it. And uh, do you think the attitude is changing though with with, with marijuana? Because like, in the UK, I mean, we're still very much stuck into the. But it's, you can't even get it legally in the UK that well. Right. Um, so. The, in America, it seems to be the states are changing rules, and I mean, for Absolutely. me, I know Colorado, yeah, and California, and Washington, Washington, Oregon, Alaska, a lot of states are just straight up legalizing. It. Yeah. yeah, and and do you see that as a pattern of that is actually gonna that that's gonna continue? Yeah. Or do you think, think Trump is oh, just gonna no, shit no. all I mean, over? You can't you can't stop the fucking train, man. Yeah. I mean, even the the asshole, you know conservative right-wingers in our country are still like, oh, yeah, cannabis, it's, it's no problem. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. like to smoke, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, and they, they see dollar signs, you know. The one the yeah. one bummer is I've, you know, I grew up in the cannabis community, and it was kind of like Scott. It was all our own. It was secret. It was underground, and we did it, and it was still kind of illegal. And now that it's, like, just open, I mean, you can literally drive down the road in my town and see thousands of cannabis plants growing in these greenhouses. They're doing big operations for, you know, for the medical community and stuff and it's changing people are not wanting to smoke the flowers anymore they want to smoke the concentrates the oils and all this stuff but I think it's a positive thing and I well I not think I know it is because you know go to Denver, Colorado 10 years ago it's just a regular city you know blah 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 and go there now and it's just like the vibe is amazing you can smell weed everywhere walk into any shop and get it everybody's happy like they had, the violent crime went down like huge. It went down like seventy percent. Um, all these positive things happen when you just let people, you know, smoke cannabis like us humans have done for ten thousand years. So 
I really like it, and you know, it's so much less dangerous. And well, it's not, in my opinion, it's not dangerous at all. But you know, alcohol, as we're sitting here drinking, has horrible effects on society when it's abused, and you know, people fight and get drunk. And, you know, it's like. When was the last time somebody smoked a joint and beat up their their <laughs> wife? You know, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. You smoke the joint so you don't have those feelings and you just let it go. <laughs> but well, yeah, if it so, wasn't for this. Yeah, yeah, but no. You know, it's it's a good thing. And, and I can actually say, now that I'm, yeah, I'm proud to be a part of uh, of the movement. Yeah. Excellent. And it goes, it goes hand in hand with music. You know, there are all these cannabis and music events, just like craft beer. And, you know, it's a good thing. And kids are like... If it's not illegal, it doesn't make kids want to do it. Like, if it's illegal, it's like, oh, it's illegal, so I have to do it. It's like, yeah, you don't need to smoke weed when you're a kid. Wait till you're an adult, like alcohol, you know, and then try it. See if you like it. If you don't, cool, but it's no big thing, you know? It's just, I mean, literally, caffeine affects me more than cannabis. So it's like, everybody's different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Horses for courses. So something I did want to talk to you about was Elwood. Sure. So, I mean, how did that come about? And where's it gone? Yeah, you know, it was a it was a very difficult, to be honest, it was a very difficult time in the band. Sasha and I, you know, we started this band together as kids. And, and he was super into reggae at the time. He was doing all this production. Well, he still is. But he was doing production work in Jamaica and going out and producing these records for this uh, Jamaican reggae artist. And basically didn't want to do the caddies for a while and i had all this material and i was on the fence it was either you know and we talked in depth about it it was either okay we'll get a replacement for sasha you know maybe just temporary if you don't want to do it fine we'll we'll have uh, someone else play guitar for a while or it was put this material out under a different name and don't have horns and kind of make it my own thing so i chose option b and i don't know if it was the best decision i actually in hindsight i I, it, it really wasn't and in, in in hindsight, I wish we've gone with option A and just it's like if we would have just added you know a few punk and Dixieland songs to that record and threw some horns on it, it was like cool. It was just a Caddy's record, and mm-hmm. I and I, we had a long lapse in between records here. It was like almost seven years, so it's a long time. But it was an adventure, and it was you know kind of no regrets, I guess, really, because you know I mean it might not have been the best thing to do, but we had a great time. We did some tours. We came over here and played some shows and. It was very humbling, to say the least. You know, I went into it thinking like, well, man, we're going to get at least like 30% of the Caddy's audience are going to rock out to a show. So if we draw a thousand people here, there's got to be at least 300 to come to see. Oh, what? oh boy, was I wrong. <laughs> oh, nobody fucking goes to see side projects, apparently. He's like, yeah. there, nobody came. So we were like, oh, okay. Well, that was cool. Fail. <laughs> but I mean, but how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? Oh, fuck. Okay. I, I generally thought everyone would love this and no one did. Because you're going to have an ego. Like, you're right, gonna of course. Have... Yeah. And, you know, the people that listened to it loved it. And I got lots of positive feedback. It was just a very small amount of people heard it. And, you know, we didn't market it. If, if it was marketed as, like, Mad Caddies, side project, feature, you know, yeah. then maybe people would have paid attention. But if people just see some band, they don't know a name. It's just no one connects to it, you know. So, but, yeah, and, it, you know. We've seen this all around. So many guys go out, frontmen or, or other people go out and start another band or side project, and they go, "Fuck, nobody came." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really strange, but yeah, it was it was very humbling and it was a good life lesson. And it it was cool to go out and do some tours in a van, you know, and sleep in freaking hostels again and do that shit. That was that was fun actually, you know. So, so we so, took it all in stride. So, what is this about Elwood? I got this from Wiki. So this is probably not a fact. Uh, what's this about Elwood supports the Bundesliga club Hanover '96? So, and for people who okay, don't you know, leave who that door open, please. Ah. Yeah, I think it goes. So Hanover '96, people who don't know, are a German 
Soccer club. club. Yeah. Right, football club, right. Yeah. Um, it just started, we were playing a gig in Hanover, and like that was the team, and none of us had any allegiance to any European football club, so we're like, all right, we're, we're choosing the 76ers, or whatever, yeah, yeah. the 76ers, I think? Uh, 96. 96, yeah, 96ers, yeah. right, right. Yeah, and so we just thought it was funny, you know, and we went we went to some games, and we're like, yeah, it's kind of a cool, cool team to like, it's not one of the big ones, or yeah, anything, yeah. you know. But I think they've taken, like, they've really taken it under their wing. Like, it seems to be a thing for that club. Because they are a small club. They're yeah, not a no, huge club. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, yeah, I think it's a, a good club. And so then, I think they've very much taken, like, the whole Elwood, they're our band. Like, they, they support us. We we love them. Because I just noticed on message boards. Like, oh, it comes really? Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's very cool. So maybe maybe Elwood will reunite to go just play one <laughs> show at the soccer stadium. Yeah, you know, yeah. for the For the 96ers, yeah. So you're a sports fan? Do you enjoy sports? I do. Um, recently, uh, I gave up American football about three or four years ago. Just, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I can't tolerate the violence anymore. I'm trying to remove violence from, especially glorifying it. Yeah. So I don't watch that, and I find it just shit and boring anyway. But I enjoy, of course, uh, soccer, European football, and I'm a basketball fan. And I'll watch baseball if it's you know the end. Like right now, the Dodgers are in the the end, and so yep. yeah, go blue. Who's your soccer team then? Apart from Hanover, obviously. Uh, well, just to spite my German tour manager and sound man, <laughs> the lovely Michael Wolgner, um Yeah, Bayern Munich because he's a Dortmund guy, and so I buy my kid, my my boy. <laughs> Byron uh, hats and shirts every time I fly out of Germany and Not I, se- and cool, I send him pictures and it drives him absolutely mad <laughs> <laughs> he, so yes out of spite I am a Byron fan so how popular is soccer in America like, cause it's, it's getting pop- way more popular yeah yeah I mean as a kid uh, that's what we played I played soccer for 10 years you know and then of course begged my mom to play football for a couple of years and then didn't really like it and it was too violent <laughs> <People hit me. laughs> please because parents won't let you play they're like no you're going to go brain dead you know and yeah. it's kind of true it's sad but um, yeah soccer's really taken off and like you know I, apparently the US did not make the qualifying no, you didn't. World no, 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 you didn't. with one of the best players in the world like what the fuck yeah. man so that's kind of sad but I really enjoy the World Cup, man, and, and especially coming watching it over in Europe and sitting out in the beer gardens on the big screens. It's just so much fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's a nonviolent sport, so I like that. Oh, sometimes. Well, I mean, there's, 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 Louis, there's a player called Luis Suarez who uh-huh. likes to bite people. Ooh, that's not good. Uh, he's, he's been caught chomping on, the, on the, the back of people's either arms or legs a couple of times. Um, so, getting back to music, I mean, what was the first album you bought and what was the first live show you went to? Right, with my own money. I'm trying to remember the first tape uh, ACDC uh, Who Made Who with the You Shook Me All Night Long on mm-hmm. from like the Maximum Overdrive soundtrack nice. <laughs> that shit movie I actually watched that <laughs> recently it's pretty funny um, that was the first album I bought with my own money and first live show I saw was Bonnie Raitt and Jackson Brown with my parents I was like 14 that was fun it's a good show that's, that's a yeah. good, and that's I was a big fan of Bonnie Raitt and Jackson Brown I like your music still do Nice. Yeah. Um, we're gonna have to wrap things up soon, which is sure. shame because I've actually still got quite a few questions, uh, like Fat Mike coming in and helping out on Dirty Rice and talking about Dirty Rice itself. But one of the questions I wanted to talk you to you about, I don't know if you read it, Real McKenzie's autobiography. They talk about Mad Caddy's pissing in bottles. Oh yeah, and just leaving them around, right. and then just kind of stepping back and watching people <laughs> drink your piss. <laughs> How did that come about? And like. That's day. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, we didn't, we never did that intentionally. We just, you know, in our technical writer, it requests that we have a private restroom, a toilet in the backstage area. And when said toilets are not available or do not exist at the shit venue you're playing, sometimes you're forced to pee in bottles right before stage time because you literally can't get out to piss and you're like, fuck, I got to piss in a bottle. And generally you piss in the bottle and then you throw it in the trash. So it was never intentional, but one time someone did drink some piss accidentally, <laughs> and it was not on purpose. It was it? Do you know uh, who it was? Yeah, it was three people, and it was actually not. It was actually in the back of our bus, Ooh. and one. I will leave all people unnamed, but one member was about to have sexual relations with a, another human being, and that person went to the bathroom real quick and he decided oh shit I gotta pee before I have sexual time and oh this bottle looks good pissed in the bottle did his deed and then hours later like three guys came back to the bus from the bars and we're like what the fuck there's no beer oh and they're like oh here's one <laughs> and one guy drank something he's like wait that 
that that tastes weird. Here, you try it. And three dudes oh. ended up all trying the beer of the piss from the unnamed person. So fruity and warm. And to fire right back at the room, Mackenzie's, we watched one of them shit in a pizza box backstage because so. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a bathroom. <laughs> and that's the most natural alternative. Right. Hey, pizza box. Perfect. Great, great toilet. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for the chat and I hope yeah, we can do this again soon. And, yeah, uh, thanks, uh, best of times, man. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, buddy. Woke up this morning on the wrong side of town to someone I've never seen and a room I guess we found. The last few days playing back in my head I know the price I'm gonna pay For all the things that I said Two hearts beating But our love was fleeting It's done Yeah, we had fun But I can't give you all of my heart When we both know it's falling Thank you to Chuck for taking the time to have a chat with me and jumping in last second. If you enjoyed that, then please do rate and review on iTunes. It really, really, really does help the podcast grow. While you're at it, go tell your friends and follow the podcast on social media at Punks in Pubs on Instagram and Twitter. It's come to the end of the show, so that means new music time. This week, we have a short, sharp 49 seconds treat for you from the islands of Indonesia. I fucking love how global this is. These guys are called The Kuda, and this track is called Anxiety. Don't forget, if you go to a punk show and someone falls down, you pick them right back up. Till next time, bye-bye.